Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Matches Native Show. I'm your host as always, Phil Brandt. I'm with my regular co-host here, Colm. Uh, McGuigan, how are you doing, mate? Well, mate, we're, we're, in, we're back in a, in a bad place now, aren't you? Um, terrible couple of games, to be fair. Actually, hard, think... to, hard to take in. Although we played well, so there, there's positives to take from it. I actually think, yesterday, <clears throat> after you know the disappointment of conceding late, obviously, because the point would have been a big point, but, um, mm. especially with Casemiro, I, I was processing my thoughts and I thought, you know, I actually think it felt worse after Palace because uh, there was a lot I could take from that United defeat. Um, you know, like Arsenal have been sensational to be fair uh, I thought it was going to be a really difficult game without Casemiro there was other things in that game that disappointed me and we'll get into it uh, in the podcast later on we'll talk a little bit about what's going on with the takeover as well of course we just had the latest <clears throat> with Jim Ratcliffe going public uh, in the last week there's been some other investment companies that have come out and you know, Sixth Street and some others um, that have been linked with United uh, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, and a few other things making the news, but we'll continue to talk about yesterday's game. And uh, I have to say, I bring my focus onto this young man, Anthony. And I don't want to be overly critical, but he made me want to turn my heart yesterday. Do you agree with me now? From where I well, I, I haven't made a few, no, no, no. I haven't made any 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 mm-hmm. long term. Um, decisions on him I'm, I'm, I, I won't do that after six months because there's been positive and negative um, but there was so many times where United broke yesterday where poor decision making poor passes under hit passes I mean he looks like a player that's struggling for confidence doing the rollover thing that he does with his feet um, and it just feels like he's very predictable um, Ten Hag plays him on the right we saw something yesterday against Arsenal that we saw against Chelsea. Uh, and they both had similar outcomes. Now, was Anthony being put through on goal with the ball on his right-hand side? But he wants to get on a, his left so bad that he closes the angle down because it makes it easier for the defender to intercept the ball. And against Chelsea, he missed that chance that cost United. And yesterday, when he was straight through... Should have went straight in on, on top of goal. Is what he should have done and shot. Indecisive and so desperate to keep it on his left hand side makes it easy to defend. And when you need it or not getting the second goal in games, which is really a big problem. Right? That's what cost him against Palace. One up against Arsenal. Get the second goal is a totally different game. I know they scored two yesterday, but the second one cost him a corner from a mistake from Ramsdale Martinez. There's no other forwards that are chipping in with goals. We'll get the Anthony Martial in a minute. We'll get the Veg Horse too, because I want to talk with him. But you can't afford passengers right now. And one thing that I would say is I'm bemused at why Garnacho isn't being brought on sooner in those games. I mean, Tenag went 4 4 2 yesterday. So he takes Anthony off, brings Fred on. I understand they want another player midfield, but I would have I would have even started Garnacho ahead of Anthony based on form. Garnacho deserves a start, over, over, in my opinion. Well, I said this, look, 10 days ago we sat in this podcast and I said, look, Garnacho offers you more this present moment than what Anthony's offering you. And I'm not saying freeze Anthony out. I'm not saying Anthony isn't going to become a good player because he might well become a good player. The problem with Anthony is he's too one-dimensional. You Every 
Tom, Dick, Harry and their granny knows what he's going to do. So when you're that predictable in a league like the Premier League, it becomes too hard. And the problem with Anthony is he's trying too hard now. There was times in that game where you could even mm, see, you can see in his head. Bit, yeah. And, and I, I'm watching him going, like, if, if we can come up with these things, how's Ten Hag not doing it? And I'm not questioning Ten Hag either because at the end of the day, we don't see what goes on every single day in training. We don't see what's going on behind the scenes. But to me and from what I'm seeing and from Garnacho at the moment, he deserves a place in the starting eleven ahead of Anthony. And whether that that is a permanent thing, I'm not I'm not saying now it's it's definite. But look, we've got Sancho who's now back in training. Mm. Maybe it's gonna be that Sancho works his way back into this team sooner rather than later. Garnacho will need to start seeing him coming off the bench earlier with because he, he has he has the ability to impact in these games. Like I think, see that last 15, 20 minutes, Garnacho could have made a serious a serious play for us down the street and that that's what we were lacking and Anthony just doesn't give us that at the moment. I think another thing <clears throat> that I thought was telling in that was um, I started to see some players really starting to get chippy with him and yeah. you see players are starting to get frustrated. You can also see that when he's being taken off in games he's not particularly happy and that's okay you know you don't want a player to be particularly happy when they're brought off but his performances don't warrant him staying on and I sincerely hope that disappointment is more with himself than with his manager for taking him off. Um, you know, it, it, at the moment, you know, United are so flimsy up front. And you saw the limitations of the squad yesterday, in my opinion. Um, we talked about this on the, on the podcast last week. Um, we talked about the fact that Van der Beek and other midfielders are occupying important places in this squad. United need depth. Before you can put a second coat on, you have to get the first coat right, accept that. And I think you need to have a really good, strong f- start in 11. I think Maguire will definitely go at the end of the season. You know, Maguire isn't even in a in a fight for two centre-back positions. He's in a fight for one. Because he's really competing with Varane. Because when Martinez is injured, Shaw is being put over there because he's left-footed. So because Maguire's not a left-footed centre-back, he won't be allowed to play on the left-hand side of defence. So United are putting left-footers in there before they'll put Maguire in there. So, and the, I mean, Lindelof has a similar question to ask because Varane's dead and unbelievably fit. But I can honestly see at the end of the season, I think Ten Hag makes quick decisions on players. I would also say his comments on De Gea were really interesting when he was asked about planning for the long term with the hair. And he goes What were his comments on the hair? So he was asked about planning for the long term with the hair. And obviously it was quite an interesting question because I think it came inside the club's channel itself. And his answer was, you know, we just plan for right now. For the next game. Alright. Not exactly a vote of confidence in David De Gea. And look we know David Hare's strengths and weaknesses. We, we, do, we know wan strengths and weaknesses. They've, they, they've had some really good games. They have showed in this game yesterday his strengths and weaknesses. That save Minkatia, unbelievable. Really good save, not unbelievable. Really good save. Um, but his inexplicable punching you know, of a ball that he should catch. Um, you know, he's still a bit glued to his line. His distribution is not great. But I don't know any complete goalkeeper out there that has all exactly. those in his locker. That's it, and I think that's where we need to be realistic. Like, you look at all the goalkeepers in the league. We've seen Ramsdale make a mistake in the game yesterday. We've mm-hmm. seen Ederson make a mistake 
Allison makes countless mistakes. There is no complete goalkeeper out there at the moment, from what I can think of. I can see him people. I had this argument with a few friends last night about the hair, and they were saying, go for David Raya, the Brentford keeper. I don't think he brings anything different, really, other than maybe a, a bit better distribution than the hair. He breaks his way into the Spain squad when the head isn't in the squad at the moment, so people will base their argument around that. I don't think we need to replace the hair. I can understand people's frustration. But the hair has saved us a lot of points over the over the last couple of seasons, and he's a very very good goalkeeper. Whether you like that or not, it, it's up to you. But I mean, I can see I can see what people's frustration are. There's times when he frustrates you, but every goalkeeper is the same. No, exactly. I mean, I was every time someone gives me an example of who would you buy instead of the hair, this guy or that guy, or who would you put ahead of him, and I can accept the fact that there probably is goalkeepers ahead of him. They'll give me an example, and there's a recent mistake in my head that that goalkeeper made that um, was really, really poor. That if the hair wouldn't had done it, uh, sometimes you know it's easy to think there's always something better out there. Um, right now, I would say David de Gea has saved United um, probably six points a season. So I don't think he was the reason why United lost yesterday look as Ten Hag said all the goals were avoidable the first goal is unbelievable first of all what is Wan-Bissaka doing at the left hand side right on the back post secondly you know I coach nine year olds and one of the things that I constantly tell defenders is how to sense danger it's hard because it's a bit of an instinct but it's about awareness constantly being aware of your surroundings constantly being aware of who's around you and if you've got a ball coming into the box and you're at the back post and you're not expecting a challenge, you're not expecting someone to come over your shoulder, who do you think they're hitting the ball to? And it seemed like to me, Wan-Bissaka was standing there thinking about you know, what he had for dinner last night. You know, it didn't seem to me that he was mentally present uh, in that game. And then he's far too narrow for the third goal because there's no need to be that narrow. I think it's Martinez he's right next to. Um, Martinez, there's, there's already a player in the box. Martino has already got them covered. He doesn't need to double up. He doesn't need to go so narrow. So Zinchenko has all the space outweighed. No challenge. And then it reminded me of games like Brighton. Where Wan-Bissaka was constantly being caught out at the Amex back post. Right? Never learned. So there's certainly he played really good against Palace. I accept that. But against the top teams, are those weaknesses going to get exposed? I think with wan it's one of those ones where he's came on so far from where he was and he's got the appointment. He's worked very quiet in the background. He hasn't thrown his toys out of the pram, which you know a lot of players would have done in this situation. He probably could have left. He didn't. He worked hard and he got his way back into the team. I'm not going to come at him for, for one bad performance. And to be honest, I don't actually think he was all that bad other than two mistakes, which were very costly, obviously, in the run of the game. But other than that, you know, throughout the game, he, he was pr- pretty good. I thought he was already done all right. So I think if we're looking at Wan-Bissaka on the whole, he's not the end product. He's not going to be the end product for probably another year, I'd say. Ten Hag's moulding him into what Ten Hag thinks he can do with Wan-Bissaka. And I, I like this progress. I think Wan-Bissaka is our number one right back at the moment. I mean, Dallow comes and goes. I think Wan-Bissaka as well, I can see the arguments of him going. going. Wan-Bissaka defensively. You're going to have for that, mate. <laughs> I'm telling you, Wan-Bissaka defensively is one of the best in the league. I yes. wa- like, 
look at that look at that challenge against Zaha. No, no, no. Where he's very good is he's very good standing up one on ones, right? Where I have concerns about Wambasaka is he's not great going forward. We know, but he he. And and Ten Hag talked about this, and one of the things Ten Hag is really good at, I'll get about this in a minute, um, is you know, Ten Hag's really, really good about digging out the group rather than individuals. And he's very smart in how he does his press conferences because he demands general improvement. He doesn't talk about this or that player, or this player, or this incident or that incident. He never say he always says we. You know, we didn't defend properly, we didn't he's very, very smart. Uh, at a much more subtle than than, uh, than maybe Ranić was, but I have concerns about Wambasaka's concentration. And when you're playing in a big game where you lose three two, and you are directly accountable for two of the goals, I don't think you can say he played well. I think that as a defender, your responsibility is to make sure first of all, you no, know, they you know that Arsenal have looked a good width. Right, I mean Saka is a fantastic player, and always and Shaw to me backs off far too much for that for first goal. Like Saka has now, now I think, of space. Now I think we're nitpicking. I think we're playing against arguably the best team in the league at the moment. Right. Between so well, okay, fair enough. But when Ten Hag says all well, three goals are avoidable, would you disagree with him? I'm I'm not disagreeing, but I think when we're nitpicking and saying you know Shaw he stands off too much. Wan Bissaka, yeah, he wasn't great on this play, he wasn't great in that play. Two goals, yes. Of course, we could see the two goals from him. But look where this team has came in such a short period of time. Look at look at all of the improvements that you see in these players because Shaw is a completely different look Shaw to what we've seen last season. Wan Bissaka is a completely different Wan Bissaka to what we've seen last season. This is progression. Rome wasn't built in a night. People forget this. We're six no, months. I'm not in condemning them. I'm not saying they, they need to be bent on anything. They're just they're, they're understandable mistakes. I mean, you probably get away with them against other teams. You're not getting away with them against Arsenal. We're not talking about them otherwise. You know, um, but in big, big games, you need the, the small margins make a big difference. You know, uh, so you will get analysed if you make mistakes in big games. That's just part of being a footballer. So. Obviously, United have, in terms of you know the collective, in terms of how United look, there there's no comparison to last season. I mean, even in defeat, there's a lot you can take from that. Where you can, I mean, you have to be an idiot to look at that United team and think that there's not major progress being made. Um, for example, I don't think this will turn into three, four, five defeats, and even in victory. Ten Hag is really measured. You know, he's very, very. He looks at victories like they're defeats, because there's obviously so much to be learned in a defeat. And sometimes, if you need to take a two-each draw from that game, you're on an emotional high. The variables are small to get you out of that. Or if they win one 0 and could have won one 0 against Palace, took a draw, that would be a really good uh, two results. The margins between that actually happening and not happening are so tiny. And that's a whole different perspective. If that happens, sometimes the euphoria of that means you overlook a lot of the mistakes you made in games. And I think Ten Hag's really, really good about recognising problems and coming up with really good solutions. Anyone can recognise a problem, but fixing it is the hard part. And I think when every time you have had a problem this season, 
Ten Hag has fixed it. I want to touch on Wayne, of course, because I think that was a problem that Ten Hag's fixed. Mm-hmm. And I think he's coming over a lot under a lot of scrutiny, Wayne, of course. A lot of people are saying, doesn't fit the bill, he's not an aerial threat, he's not doing this well, he's not doing that well. When was he in the box? When's he going to score? I thought, Weghorst, over the past two games, first of all, when he came off against Palace, that's when we went to shit. So that's a fact. The minute he came off against Palace, we were still playing the same balls that we were playing towards Weghorst, towards Rashford, who ultimately was pulling wide every single possession. When we were in possession... Yep, he brought McTominay on, but I don't even need to speak about McTominay in that Palace game because Rashford kept on pulling wide. There was no one, no threat at all. Weghorst then showed against Arsenal. His link-up play is exceptional. He's a very good player, and he's coming under a lot of scrutiny because he's not scoring goals. He's not doing this. His job in that team is to link play, is to bring the wide men in, and I thought he'd done that well. I can't understand why people are getting on his back. Well, here's the thing about a January striker saying... There's no time to settle in. You need to hit the ground running right away. And lots of teams send strikers in January, usually down the bottom because they're not scoring goals to get them out. Um, and the ones that hit the ground running quickly, you know, we've seen this, you know, they have a pivotal contribution to make to the teams that they join. So Vaghorst is, you know, needs time to settle in. You don't get time to settle in, right? You know, you know when you're bringing a player in, in January, they have to contribute right away. Maybe that's unfair. I have to say I've been a bit impressed and surprisingly impressed by his feet, by a lot of his link-up play, which is very good. Um, in his defence, United didn't create a hell of a lot in the two in the last two games that he's played. I mean, um, they looked tired in both Palace and Arsenal last 20 minutes, which I think dictated partly how they played. Um, both of those games are away from home. Both of them were in London. United have an unbelievably hectic schedule. There's no question it was a disadvantage. United have had to play at Palace. If United don't play at Palace, they get a week rest. They have Casemiro available. What we just said, we said small margins matter. That's, that's a, a, a big margin. That's a big difference. So... But, and what I also said about refereeing decisions, look, if you need to get the second goal against Palace, the McTominay penalty, and I said to you last week on this podcast that you need to get punished in VAR decisions. You disagree with me? And I was right. I said you need to get punished in 50-50 VAR decisions, right? Because it's a natural human reaction. No referee wants the abuse. By the way, Mikel Arteta on the sideline, I sincerely hope all the wankers that turn around and say, you know, Ten Hag died, he's too shy, he's too reserved. Just what you want? You want that guy? Does he not trust professional footballers to make a decision? Because it seems like he wants to stick his hand up or arse and make everyone for them. I mean, imagine playing for that. He's, a, he's done an unbelievable job. But that would annoy me. See, this is why I could never be a professional football manager. And I have my temper will get the better of me. You know, like, uh, I, I, I don't understand. Like That would annoy the life out of me to have this guy running up and down the sideline. I noticed, I noticed he wasn't asking for yellow cards whenever the other players were getting hit from behind on the sideline. And standing there asking for yellow cards for Luke Shaw and everything. Like, what, what are you doing? You know, it's, it's really, really annoying that. Um, <clears throat> but to Ten Hag's credit, didn't use referees as an excuse after Palace. But when you are so tight in the game, where it's 1-0, you leave yourself vulnerable to 
a ridiculous refereeing decision to say in the game for you. You needed to have got the second goal. I think it's uh, it's funny you say that about the the decisions, right? That that McTominay one's an absolute penalty, stonewall penalty in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, I think I, that's for definite. We've only got one penalty. I see someone's actually wrote it in the comments there all season. It's it's not a, a knock on effect from what you say. I think it's just that Manchester United thing, and it goes against us in games. I think if McT- if that's the other way around, they get a penalty. I would say so too. The McTominay one. I think that's just a part and parcel of being Manchester United. We spoke about it before. I said like the media frenzy that comes with United. It's just one of those things. That's the way it is. We'll have to that's what I'm to saying. It. The attention affects referees and how they make decisions. The, the fear, the backlash affects them. Of course, but for whatever reason, you'd think there'd be more of a backlash if you make a decision against United. We're probably the most well-supported team in the world. But it doesn't work that way. So I just think it's this Manchester United thing. It's always been that way. The media frenzy, everything that goes on within Manchester United. For example, we've seen this week about Harry Kane possibly sending for United, which I've been calling for for the past five years. I would take Harry Kane up until he's 33. I would take him at Manchester United because I think he would improve the team. If you look at the 30-plus signings that we've made, Robin Van Persie, unbelievable. Think of Casemiro now. Unbelievable. Harry Kane falls into that category. Now, it's come out today that Harry Kane wants to sign a contract with Spurs. Unless Harry Kane is someone that doesn't have really any ambition for his career, or any ambition for him, because realistically, Spurs aren't going to go anywhere. Spurs, Manchester United are always going to be there or thereabouts. Spurs aren't. And if Harry Kane's happy enough with mediocrity and Harry Kane's happy enough to sit around, collect his wage, captain Spurs, then great. But he has to have some sort of ambition. And we are the club for Harry Kane. I think he is the perfect signing. Especially in this team that Ten Hag has at the moment. Yeah, I have two two views on this. And you could steal man either of them. Um, I completely accept what they're saying. And this really is the point in Harry Kane's career where it's last chance saloon to make this decision. You either make it now or you don't. If he wants to go down as one of the greats and be remembered in that way, He's going to have to go to, even if it's not United, he's going to have to go to a top club that wins Champions Leagues, that wins trophies. And, you know, we're sitting here talking about that, like United will be nowhere near that. But um, but I believe they'll, they will be before Spurs. Um, I know they almost did it with Spurs, but he's going to have to be someone that, if you're not going to do it in your international career, you're going to have to do it in your club career. So, what's one of the most iconic pictures in the world is Messi with the World Cup. How many pictures is Harry Kane going to get to hang on his wall with him winning trophies? I mean, it's a big decision for him and he has to get it right. Um, my concern as a United fan with Kane would be if I'm Spurs, I w- I w- this is also the time where you ask, do I want to sell? Because this is the last chance they have of selling. How much would it take for us to get Harry Kane, do you think? Well, let's say you, you get Kane for 80 million. If Osman's available for 80 million, I take Osman first. Right. Over Kane? Yes, 100%. So an un- unproven Premier League player? Unproven Premier League player? He's unproven. He's not, he's not an unproven player, mate. No, an unproven him. Premier League player. I never yeah, said that. The Premier League player. doesn't play football on the moon. It's still football. I mean, it's, it's still. Uh, so to me, I think, uh, you know, when you've got Ramalu Lukaku scoring plenty of goals in England, plenty of goals in Italy, I'm not concerned about Osman. Awesome, you know, if you. I mean. 
there's a litany of players that, that scored plenty of goals in Italy and England. I'm not really concerned about whether he's proven or not. Casemiro is an unproven I, Premier League player. Of course, and look, that's a, that's a great argument. But if I'm offered Harry Kane, <clears throat> who we have seen time and time again perform for Spurs, or Victor Osman, I'm going for Harry Kane. I think it's a mm. no-brainer. Tell me why you think you would go with Osman, first and be- foremost. Be- because, first of all, Osman's younger. I think he's a more powerful forward. I think he's Terrible a injury more... record as well. Uh, but but <clears throat> Kane's isn't great either. And he's a, 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 I haven't seen Osman's injury record, so I don't know. Uh, but I honestly think Kane's got about, because of his injuries, maybe another two years left at this level where he'll start to dip. I don't think you'll get that way, also, man. Um, I think um, for United, they and, and Ten Hag likes to play with a big, powerful forward uh, striker like that. Um, and you know, I, I think he's a, a exceptional young player that suits how Ten Hag wants to play. Harry Kane's a very, very good finisher, and of course he would improve United. But you know, there's an argument to be made about whether Holland improves City. And Holland is a brilliant goal scorer, right? Hold on a well, second. What do you mean he hasn't improved City? Well, are you saying oh. City or we, we've had a, we we had a year of being told Cristiano Ronaldo, despite scoring all of his goals, makes United a weaker team, which I think yeah. he did. You're, you're Everything goes. Would our City a better team last season or this season? Mate, come no, on. no, just it's a simple question: Are they a better team last season or this season? <sighs> You're you're basing that on the fact that City aren't top of the league at the no, moment. No, no, no. Don't answer it with another question. Are they a I better think, team last season better. or this season? I think they're a better team this season. You okay? A, a better present your case, my sir. I, I, I'm just evidence. Right? Evidence based okay. claims. C- okay, City last <laughs> season. You're basing your argument on City not being top of the league. City being a bit lackluster. You cannot tell me that er- Erling Haaland has not improved City because he has. The has goals he improved he's scored, them? The goals I, I, he's I'm scored. No doubt, not doubting his individual contribution, but has he improved them as a team? I mean, I'm, I'm, open to the, I'm open to the suggestion. He's, he's added more goals than anyone else in that team. I know he what scored, he has done. He scored the majority but, but this is this, but Cristiano Ronaldo was United's top goal scorer last season, no I, doubt, made him a weaker team because everything had to go of, through him. There's 10 so, other individuals. No, yes, not, but, but, but when everything's set up to go through one player... Right, United had to sell on this right over in the Champions League, right? Tell me how he makes them a better player, better team. I know about his individual contributions. Okay, City are a more complete team. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be an an overnight success job when Holland comes in, starts scoring goals, and City still. So they're a more complete team, but they're not yet. No, I still think City will win the league. We're you have to remember we're not even halfway through the season. I know we, but but what we think and what we know. Let's deal with what we know. Well, what we know is Haaland scored a record number of goals in a mm-hmm. short amount of time. We know yes. City still have a lot of easy games to come up. City still have to play Arsenal. I think City will win the league. I'll base but, my but argument don't know, on the what fa- we think doesn't what matter. What we think no, doesn't no, no, matter. We do because... what we know. Okay. Let's well, deal with what is... is Manchester City a better team now? Okay. Here's, than here's what they were last season. The answer to that is clearly no. Okay, so we're halfway through the season. Now, it may right? not be because of Haaland. Right? That's where I would attack that argument. To turn around no. and say that the top goal scorer in the Premier League who has broken every single record, who's already ahead of the top goal scorers of last season, 
and we're arguably barely even halfway through the season. We had two months off. No, I, I could, I can understand that counterfactual. But to me, but what I'm saying is, there. All I'm saying is, there's an open question as to whether he makes them a better team. Because when you're not getting goals from other, when you're not getting goals from midfield, when you're not getting goals, I mean, Mares, of course, me, is the only other player that's consistently scoring at City. And clearly, when you look at the first half of their season, I mean, they're mouths behind Arsenal. United, were th- United could have went ahead of them in the league if they'd have beaten Palace. So there's clearly no doubt that they're a lot weaker than what they were last season. I, but you're basing your argument on City at the end of last season. City no, at I'm this basing stage. on the whole of last season. Yes, but we aren't the full way through this season, so it's no, not I know, but really... that's what, But that's why I'm saying you compare and contrast with what we know right now. There's absolutely no reason to believe that City will win the league. Right? I, I mean, there, there's no part of me. I cannot sit here and say Erling Haaland has not made City a better team because he has. He's added goals that no one else has added. But it just has. They just haven't shown that. Well, well, judge them at the end of the season. Well, maybe, because maybe. We can't maybe. say it right now. Well, no, no, you can judge them right now. I'm saying at this point, now it's possible Man City become magic second half of the season and they're improving based on what we haven't seen so far. But to me, there's an open question to be asked about whether Holland makes them a better team. And I can give you countless examples of teams that have relied on a goal scorer way too much to the detriment of the other team. Of course, but the, de- but the detriment of the other team is whenever the team falls down the league, right? City are still in prime position. City still can win the league. City still have to play Arsenal. This isn't a City podcast, by the way. But for you to tell me Erling Haaland has well, not... Well, United can City. still win the league. I mean, Sam, what could course, happen? Can. You know, well, of course, but, you know, possibility and probability are two different things. Erling Haaland has absolutely improved that City team. Whether you like it or not, he right. scored it's a non-evidence-based claim. It's a non-evidence-based claim because the old saying, that old saying, the league table never lies, but call me Wigan does. Anyway. The goal-scoring don't lie. What? The goal-scoring tallies don't lie. But the, He's the most confident striker in Europe. You're, you're talking about a different thing. You're talking about an individual. I'm talking about a team. Roy Keane was Forrest's best player. They got relegated. Uh, would, would but those are individual contributions. You don't scale a team contribution based on individuals. Right? That uh, they're two different things. So anyway, let's talk about Jim. Let's talk about Jim Ratcliffe. Um because uh quite an interesting week last week for United. And uh you know, I want to talk about Jim because I have some interesting questions about this and understanding the strategy behind it. Matt Dickinson, of course, broke the story about Jim Ratcliffe declaring his hand and saying that uh, he wants to form, you know, he's formally bidden for Manchester United. And I thought the timing of that leak or whatever was quite interesting. I was listening to the Talk of the Devils podcast and listening to Andy Midden talk about this and he seems to believe that there's nothing strategic about um and Andy's a much more better informed journalist than the vast majority of people that cover the football club. Um, certainly better informed than me, so he would know more than me. But I'm looking at this and I'm going, why would Jim Ratcliffe do this? What, what's what's the benefit to Jim? And the suggestion on the Talk of the Devils podcast was perhaps to draw in other potential 
individuals that would partner with them um, in a consortium. May be the case, I don't know. But I thought it was telling that he released this statement a day before the 6th Street stuff came out, <clears throat> which they quickly denied. And then, of course, the story over the weekend that there was an American investment firm interested in buying United, or, or investing in United, um, you know, that, of course, have a history of sport and investments that would allow the Glazers to remain in charge. Now, I would imagine that Jim Ratcliffe had an idea, if you're going to bid for a football club, that these other things are going on in the background. And I think, he, maybe I'm just being a conspiracy theorist, thinking that Jim, I think, wants United fans to know there's a serious buyer, not someone that wants to invest. And I think he knows that in contrast, to contrast the investment versus potential ownership from Jim Ratcliffe, what type of response that's going to garner from United fans. Um, I think that... Uh, I don't, one of the worst things United fans hate is people that claim to speak for them all. That I don't speak for anyone other than myself. So United fans are free to disagree with me here. Well, you try and speak for me a couple of times <laughs> a week, but other than that, I just for sure. I'm trying to help you, damn it. Um, but and looking at this and going, um, you know, I, I believe that if an investment company tried to invest in Manchester United, that would allow the Glazers to stay involved. The response to that would be extremely dark from United fans. And I don't see any potential for that happening. Uh, I don't see any way for that to be prosperous for anyone. And I don't understand what their goal is because when... I was just at the Jim O'Neill talk about this uh, and he said, look, for most people they believe that we're maybe close to the apex of financial exploitation and where football can continue to grow financially, commercially. I'm sure it will continue to grow, <clears throat> but whether there's massive new markets to exploit, I don't know. So if you're an investment company, how realistic is it that you're going to get money back in a club that's a billion in debt, right? And any anytime soon. There's still massive risks with whether United will be successful on the pitch. There's still the Chelsea money. There's still the City money. There's still the Newcastle money. So the only type of investment in United that even makes any any kind of sense is to invest billions, which you could buy the football club for. So why would you do it? So I, I don't see how any sensible investor... And by the way, football's a terrible investment in relation to other investment opportunities. So these are ruthless people that care only about money. But so is Jim Ratcliffe, and Jim Ratcliffe deserves the same scrutiny as the, as anyone from the Middle East would. And I think they we have a tendency to think good guy because he's you know British or whatever. Or he, you know, he's, I completely understand people from other parts of the world saying, "Wait a minute, well, Jim Ratcliffe's not exactly you know Santa Claus. He's been quite ruthless." But is it you fair know, to say that like anyone we really get in? There's going to be stipulations with the grass isn't always going to be greener, so we'll have to have that as well, a, a sticking point, really, to say, look, anyone we get in here, it's not going to be happy days straight away, and it's certainly not going to be a better ownership. Well, be, I would say it'd be well, probably better, a better ownership, yes. but they certainly still deserve scrutiny, you know, as human beings. I mean, 
I despise the Glazers for their business model, but, you know, they weren't up to their neck in war crimes. You know, they weren't up to their neck in human rights abuses. Now, they're not the best people in the world. But Jim Ratcliffe also deserves that scrutiny. And I don't want to see a Todd Bowley situation at United where some arsehole comes in and fires everybody because there's a lot of really good people that work at United that, 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 um, that are working hard, that are, that are decent, honest people. Yes, there are some people that do need to be moved on, but I don't want to see a Todd Bowley situation at United where they're coming in and... I mean, Chelsea's January transfer window was completely ridiculous. None of that is being driven by Graham Potter. So I don't want to see Ten Hag's, you, you, you know, his authority usurped by some arsehole. So to me, um, I think uh, I, I, I think a lot of people want Middle Eastern owners simply because of this reason, because they want unlimited money to spend. And so anyone that could potentially take over United that isn't going to provide that is immediately you know, treated with cynicism by a certain element of the support. But... You know, I don't think um, it'll be people from Dubai. There's obviously Americans involved too. Um, I still stand by the fact that I believe it will be sold by the end of the first quarter this year. Um, and I, obviously it's encouraging that there's, there's people letting, letting it be known they're interested, but no one else is. And he didn't do that with Chelsea. When he bid for Chelsea, he didn't go public. So don't, there's obviously games being played here. And uh, Jim, you know, is close to how certain United fans feel. So he will be aware of the sentiment. And I do believe <coughs> that fan pressure is a significant part of why the Glazers are where they are. It's a disgrace the football club is in a situation where it cannot meet its basic obligations. But this is always going to be the end point. United badly need a top striker in January. It's a disgrace that this football club cannot afford one. But because Jim is an, old, an older individual, I don't know, is he in his 70s, 80s? Whatever age he is, what, what happens after that? Yeah, that's a fair point. Contingency. Um, <clears throat> and um, what would be his advance directive if something happens to Jim Ratcliffe? I would imagine he would be put in a trust. I would worry about that. You know, where we, you, the ownership model would be, um, you know, he would have directives on how he wanted the club run. You know, it was interesting in this Chelsea bid that he would also, you know, bid for the club, but also put significant investment aside for development of the stadium and what have you. Um, so um, obviously we'd have to do that at United, uh, but. From what I was told, Calum United are, you know, Glazers are having a serious hard time getting anywhere close to their valuation. So if they want to sell that club at the first quarter, there's going to have to be some realism with the price. And as I've said before on this podcast, the assumption that Middle Eastern individuals are just going to come out here and have their pants put it down, you know, is just completely wrong. So... With with what you're saying, and you think that it will happen before the end of the season, do you believe that he is the front runner? Then, do you think ultimately he has he is the one that holds probably more cards than anyone else in terms of this because he knows the ins and outs, like you said. It's hard to say if he's the front runner. Um, you know, one thing is for sure. Um, Jim Ratcliffe wants people to know he wants to buy this football club, 
Um, if you look at his previous public statements, they've never been that correct. Uh, like, he turned around two weeks before the football club was officially for sale and said that they weren't for sale. But yet people like me <coughs> were being shown prospectuses and being shown stuff as far back as August. So he had to have known that wasn't correct. He was very complimentary about the Glazers, uh, which I think that was laying the groundwork for um, relationships in an effort to, to you know, foster goodwill between them uh, as he wants to you know, intend to buy the football club. Um, I don't know how organised this bid is, but I think we have to be very careful about you know, Jim Ratcliffe being the saviour. Jim Ratcliffe deserves scrutiny in the same way everybody else would. And um, I, I, I'm i not naive to think that, you know, this is a panacea, that Jim will come in and fix every problem. You know, Jim's been quite ruthless in his business. An environmentalist are extremely angry at him over his petrochemical company. You know, so, you know, he's not some, you know, sugar daddy benefactor that's going to come in and solve every problem at United. So obviously, moving moving on from that tough couple of weeks coming up for United now, off the off the back of those two underwhelming results, won't say performances because the performances were good, but we have a, a serious amount of games on our hands over the next mm. what thirty days. I think it's twelve games in thirty days, something like that, isn't it? Um, two a week, it's going to get really, really tough. We're going to need a serious squad, and yeah. at the moment, we're lacking a serious squad. Do you think there'll be any investment, more investment in January? No, other than I mean, look, they done? badly need players, but the type of players, it's, it's kind of goes back to one of the issues with Juan Bissaka. Is you're talking about a guy uh, that, let's say, you go out and buy another right back. Who wants to be a backup right back? Right? If you're very, very good, you're not coming here to be a backup right back. This is these positions that you need to need to fill are not easy to fill because you want quality players, but quality players are not going to come and say, hey, "I'm going to you're you're my alternative to Casemiro." No, I'm not going to play, and and I'm you know if you want to buy accept, you usually have to buy young players with potential that are willing to accept they're not going to play every week, you know they can see, you know, but the problem is with with someone like Casemiro is. You're three, four years away before someone's realistically going to replace him. So, but United badly need depth in those positions. We talked about this against Charlton, where you could see against Charlton when McCominay and Fred were on the pitch, there was no creativity at all. He brings on Casemiro and brings on Ericsson, United win the game. And that was one of the things I was thinking about yesterday. McCominay and Fred on the pitch, I'm like, I remember my Charlton game, there was no creativity. And so, Tactically, you need to have to completely change. It's almost like they transition between two eras. When Casemiro and Eriksen aren't on the pitch, it's almost like they're transitioning back to pre-Ten Hag era with Fred and McTominay and Fernandez in midfield and their performances are, are consistent with what we saw in that era because they're not completely, but I mean in midfield uh, where you have really no creativity, you know, they're not, the quality isn't there to really change the game. Um, this is something United are going to have to address over the summer. And and speculating about who United are going to buy, to me, at this point, it, the, the football club has to be bought before you, we can make realistic extrapolations on who United will buy this summer. If the football club is bought, Ten Hag will have significant investment. I believe that if he goes to the market this summer, signif with significant investment, you're looking at five 
around five new players. I think I think five new players is reasonable in terms of what we need. I think realistically, though, we need something here and now until the end of the season. Mm-hmm. If that means we have to sell someone to get the funds in, I would be all for that. You know, you've spoke about Maguire in the summer. If Maguire is going to go in the summer, why not? not sell them in January here, make a few quid, use that few quid where we need somewhere else. Because really, centre-half at the moment, we've got Lindelof as our backup, we've got Shaw as another backup centre-half. We could do with getting bodies out and getting some bodies in because that's what we need going forward. And I mean, I would love another midfielder. I would love another striker. I think Martial's too hot and cold, too injury-prone. We're real. We're realistically at this point relying on Weghorst to do something he's probably not going to be able to do and get this fifteen goals in the rest well, of the season. Ten, fifteen goals, he's not going to do it. This <laughs> is a problem for me with, with one of the issues with Weghorst is this guy was brought in to be a backup striker, a backup striker to who? To a guy who doesn't have a physical body that can stand up to the rigors of professional football anymore. I mean, I, I Anthony Martial. We're not questioning his talent, so they don't get attacked by Martial FC. I'm questioning Anthony Martial's ability to ha- to to stand up to the rigors of professional football. You know, we, we we've already decided that Phil Jones doesn't have a body that can do that. I don't think Anthony Martial does either. And this is so tragic. It's really sad that this is where we're at. Um, but you can't. You know, if you've got a centre back that's out twenty five games a season, you have to ban another one. Right? These are focal points of how you play. Your central striker, one of the reasons why they had to get rid of Ronaldo was because, like, I was just saying, Holland, right? The striker is so important to how you need to play. And whenever you have a situation where you've got your main striker that's missing half your games, you have to constantly change tactically. And Vekhorst is such a different tactical player to what um, Martial is. And really what you needed, needed in January wasn't a backup striker, it was a starting striker. But I mean, they, they needed that last January too, and didn't do it, um, and that has to be priority number one this summer. Definitely, I think has to be our priority, and has to be. There, Ten Hag needs back. Ten Hag shown what he can do with limited budget, with limited um, reinforcements, and look at what he's done. Think about what he could do if he's really back properly. I completely agree with that, and over the next few weeks, over the next few months, as you were clearly saying, they'd have a really heavy schedule. Um, that concerns me because the squad isn't that deep. Uh, you saw you saw the bench at the weekend. I don't understand people that criticise Ten Hag because I don't think he had an awful lot on the bench that we could really change the game with. That's why I like Garnacho because when he comes on, he always changes games. Why we'd have brought him on sooner? Hopefully, we see Sancho introduced during these uh, League Cup semi-finals. Great opportunity for United to get their first trophy in six years. Um, so far, disappointing result, but like I said, felt worse after Palace. Um, but all, all in all, that, that's to be positive about. So uh, we'll leave it there, mate. Um, yes. thanks, to, thanks to you for coming on doing the podcast. As always, thanks to all of you for your downloads, likes, retweets, follows. I hope you're all physically and mentally well, folks. Enjoy your week. Take it easy. See you later, bro. See you, mate.